Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But then, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Diz Explorers podcast. Where each week we explore different avenues of the vast Disney universe. This week, joining us is Adrian. Hello. And Jessica. Hi, everybody. And Melanie. Hello. And back from his whirlwind West Coast and Hawaiian tour is Milford. Hello. <laughs> so this week, we're going to discuss, or those of us that at least saw it, uh, the new Beauty and the Beast theatrical release, the live action one. Uh, most of our troop has seen it, some of us have not, and but we are okay, as we did with the last one, which I, it escapes me, the last movie we talked Rogue about. Rogue One, hello. Rogue One, that's right, I'm sorry, where we did a spoiler full review. This is what this will not, so if you have not seen it yet and you don't want to know all the ins and outs, even though we should, as we talked about before we started recording, everybody knows how the movie ends and we know the plot, so there should, really shouldn't be too many shockers in this. It's just, I guess, more of a review of what the differences were between the animated and this live-action film. So with that, I'm going to open the floor up to the troopers who have seen Beauty and the Beast and let them take it away. Cool. Um, cool. Well, I, I still haven't seen Rogue One, so. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Please Dishonor. don't get started on that. Dishonor hey, on by you. the way, it's out, on, on, your it's out on digital. I yeah. know, and I still haven't seen it. That's, I feel I'm such a disappointment to the Disney community at this point. I, I duly the apologize. community as a whole. I know. <laughs> now, I if you tell me you haven't seen the Marvel movies, now we got to talk. I, I, I'm up to date on my Marvel well, movies, with the exception of Logan, which is technically not Disney Marvel. I still haven't seen Logan, but otherwise, I, I am. Well, I tell you what, up since, to date on Marvel. Since it's all digitally, and I know your children have started their outdoor sports for the season, load that mess <laughs> on your iPad, and you can cheer and watch a movie at the same time. <laughs> oh, I've got a, I, I've got a very, very far away game tomorrow that I might need to. There I might you, just need to do that. There you go. Beauty and the Beast, I have seen. I saw that opening weekend. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it twice already, and I have plans to see it a third time. <laughs> wow. Well, I loved it, and I was thinking through what I wanted to say that I liked and I didn't like, and I kind of came up with three things I really liked and then two things I didn't like. So the first thing that I really liked was that I swear when they were writing the script for this, they must have looked up plot holes and they tried to address as many as possible because I noticed things <laughs> that I had thought about that were weird. Right, Mel? Right. So, like, one was that I always wondered was how did the townspeople forget about the palace and the prince and everything? Like, they just right. disappeared. And they addressed that. They addressed why it took Maurice so long to go ask people for help. Basically, why was Belle in the castle for so long? They addressed why the staff was also cursed and not just the prince. I'm trying to think of what other things did they address? I think they fixed the age problem. Yes, that's another one. Yep. Because, you know, that's kind of vicious to curse an 11-year-old. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) If an 11-year-old is that badly behaved, it's the parents' fault. Right, or I agree. the servant's fault. You know, it, 
so it's that that was addressed as well by just giving yeah. him a vague a vague age. <laughs> so I really appreciated that. And then the second thing I really liked was that they took a lot of time to do more character development. And they really explored, you know, why Belle and Beast like each other, aside from just the fact that they're stuck in the same place. They found interests they had in common and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then LeFou, obviously. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They gave him morals and doubts. And I thought he and Gaston were the funniest part of the whole movie. Well, that makes me happy. I loved that they got more screen time and there was just, oh. So he wasn't, they were so funny. So he wasn't just a bumbling idiot, LeFou, like no. he was in the animated series. It was like Definitely a, not. It oh, was a cool. guy who, for the first time, saw his hero doing things that weren't okay, and you could see him wrestling with it. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And they, they took more time to explore Beast's character arc, because they kind of explain why he's such an angry guy, and where that comes from and his relationship with the the staff and how it changes. And I just thought they spent a lot of time. I don't know. Did you think that too, Mel, that they kind of buffed out the characters? I think so. There were, there were some character things. I I mean, obviously I love you and McGregor. Yeah. Was, was wonderful. And and Ian McKellen as Cogsworth and Lumiere. I, I really liked that. And I like how they kind of took ownership of those roles, which can be pretty, I mean, Come on, they were pretty well defined as well as they were, but I, yeah. I do like how that relationship developed. Yeah, absolutely. And then the the third main thing that I really liked was they kind of expanded on the rose almost as like a symbol in the movie because it was kind of a trigger for both Belle and Beast for different things. Like Belle, it reminded her of her mother, and then the Beast, the the witch that cursed oh, yeah. him, offered him a rose and he rejected it. So. When Maurice picks a rose for Belle, that's when he goes mental and, like, throws him in the dungeon and all that stuff. And then they kind of help each other through their traumas, which is kind of why they like each other. But I just thought that was interesting that for each of them, the rose meant a different thing. And it was, like, a big deal for both of them. So I thought that was kind of cool. But in terms of the two things that I didn't like... The opening number of Bell was kind of rough. You could you could tell that it was auto-tuned, especially in the very first couple lines because it's pretty much a cappella, so you could uh-huh. really hear it. And I would rather have it be imperfect than have it auto-tuned with that kind of a thing. It was like, oh, no. It made me very <laughs> nervous. <laughs> I think the and, visuals of the opening were very harsh, too. I saw it in 3D, yeah. and it was really visually weird and flat and it almost seemed off scale yeah it looked more like like they were acting and it was like a play it felt Mm, it was yes it felt all encompassing yeah that opening scene very much did feel like a play not a movie that's Um, what it is thank you for putting that towards for me (laughs) (laughs) i I was struggling with how, how why it felt like that and that is exactly what it was yeah that's that's true um, and then the only other thing I really didn't like was the Be Our Guest number, just because I loved it so much in animation. And you know, with CGI, they can't really have the same kind of charm and fantastical. It just felt slower and mm-hmm. with less in, um, excitement. You know, I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about that, but I don't know what what didn't work for you, Mel. I, I want to go back to plot holes where you know everybody in the castle is aging, right? Mm-hmm. What happened to Chip? 
Chip is still this little kid at the... I mean, what was he, an infant when the curse came about? Because Chip was still a kid by the time the curse was broken. Everybody else had aged magically. Well, did they, though? Because <laughs> I kind of thought they froze time. Because they the freeze time? Was, is that what I'm missing? That, that's that might what be. I thought, because the prince and Audra McDonald and Stanley Tucci, they all looked the same. The same. Yeah, but is I don't know. Is that what, where my, my plots are crossing? My, because sometimes you think you really, you know, you're remembering the old one. Yeah, yeah. As you're watching the new one. So sometimes the changes aren't sinking in, and that could just be my old age. But <laughs> if that's the case, then okay. But it was just, I was like, how did people not age, or did they age? And I don't know. Um, I did like I that do... Mrs. Potts was no longer grandma, though, and she was clearly his mom. It wasn't okay, like this so old woman with a kid. <laughs> while you're bringing up Mrs. Potts, I want to I want to state and categorically how much I love Emma Thompson and how much I disliked her as Mrs. Potts. Hmm. I, I I really really want. She was Nanny McPhee. It was yeah. Nanny McPhee. The voice was uh, Nanny McPhee. Okay. The character was Nanny McPhee. Yeah, not she was kind of cocky. She was, and, and I was not thrilled with the animation of her face and I know because my son researched it because he he did that for me he said that she went through about three different incarnations where they tried to do the spout as the nose kind of like the original and it wasn't working in CGI I'm thinking with all of the animation tools at Disney's disposal they use the gold leaf line as her whole face it, it was very flat I just was not thrilled with Mrs. Potts from the visual to Emma Thompson. And I love Emma Thompson. Mm, yeah. You know, she's, she's my Mrs. Dad, my Miss Dashwood. I mean, I, I love her <laughs> and I love her in Harry Potter, but I was not feeling her as Mrs. Potts. It was, it was Nanny McPhee. That's true. I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. Did you like the styling of like Lumiere and Cogsworth and everybody else? Loved them. I loved how they, had their frozen form where they looked like they were, you know, more of a candelabra versus just, you know, the candlestick with the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I did love, love, you know, their animation, but it was just Mrs. Potts that I was not in love with. But what I did like was the addition of the song Evermore. Oh, that song has yeah. been stuck in my head for the last week and a half. Okay. <laughs> Because, and it goes without saying that I have a a not-so-secret celebrity love affair with Josh Groban, who does the album version of Evermore. So, (laughs) I am totally in love with that song. That was the first song that hit my iTunes list from the movie. Yes, loved. And and I loved seeing it in the movie. It wasn't the Josh Groban version, but I did love seeing it in the movie. It gave beast a little bit more depth he was singing it as he let bell go and that was giving me the feels i liked that so i do love as you know a new song edition goes i did like that and how about audra mcdonald singing beauty and the beast at the end i that was a surprise i didn't even know that was coming yeah, I like that they bookended with her. They had her start and they had her end. Mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. Beautiful. I love Audra McDonald. Me too. And I, I loved her seeing that. And it was such a surprise because I tried not, with all of the hype and the pre, 
you know, media frenzy and everybody saying everything that was going into this movie, I tried to kind of not. I wanted something to be a surprise. I wanted to go into it with as fresh of a set of eyes as possible, considering I already know everything. You already know what happens. So these little surprises, you know, like Evermore and then Otter McDonald singing, those were great. And I don't know how with all of the pre-hype I missed that Stanley Tucci was in the movie at all. Yeah, me too. Stanley Tucci is in the movie. Yes, he's he's the piano for he's the piano forte. God, I love that man. He's fantastic. And then when he smiles at the end, when he's human and he smiles without his teeth, (laughs) (laughs) that was perfect. But yes, no, I I totally missed that Stanley Tucci was in it. Kevin Klein was good. I mean, he was serviceable as Maurice. Mm -hmm. Did I absolutely love it? Nah, but was he good? Yeah. So what did you think about Days in the Sun, that so- other song that's new? Because I couldn't decide if I liked it or not. I think I'm with you. I'm kind of meh. Like, it's good, but it's not evermore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're talking about basically, you know, one of the best scores in Disney animated history. And, and if you're going to add to it, you better bring it. <laughs> so, okay, I mean, it was good. Okay, I, I have a question. Sure. Does Dan Stevens do his own singing like Emma Watson does? Yes, I but yes, they, I when think he's he does. the beast, they lower his voice. Okay. But it's him singing. I adore him. I just had to know if there was oh another reason was, that I should be attracted to that man. <laughs> he okay. was great. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm going to go off on a mini tangent. Did any of you guys see the Crosswalk Theater Company on James Corden do Beauty and the Beast? For the Late Late Show. So James Corden, who was, of course, the baker on Into the Woods, and he has his own Late Night Show, does this, like, crosswalk theater where during red lights he will put on entire theater productions. (laughs) Well, entire. (laughs) Many, you know, shrunk down theater productions. And he does Beauty and the Beast. James Corden plays Beauty. And then Josh Gad plays, during one scene he'll play LeFou, and during another scene he's Lumiere. Oh my goodness! And then um, Dan Stevens is the Beast. It it was really good. And Luke Evans is in it too. So I mean, they get the real stars to come and do this crazy stuff. Oh my goodness! Oh, it was too funny. But I think yeah. they did that while I was in Hawaii. I think I actually caught that on TV because you know, uh, late night TVs at like four o'clock in the afternoon in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't see that till the next day. It was. On past my bedtime. <laughs> you know, I, I can't stay up late. But, but yeah, I think, yeah, it was Dan Stevens singing. So, but it yeah. did, did seem like it was lower. It seems like his speaking voice came down very low as well for this yeah, character. Yeah, he definitely lowered it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And then, because of the... Did he stand on stilts or something? Because I know he was actually acting in the scenes and then they CGI'd over him. But when he's the Beast, he's so much taller than Belle than when he's the Prince. Okay. I know the answer to this question. Oh, okay. I watched watched an interview with him where that's exactly what he did. He actually had to act each scene twice. Once as the body. Um, So he was on stilts and he was acting around in the scene with Emma and then he had to go back to his studio and be covered in those little micro dots on his face and actually do the facial acting later. 
huh. so that they could transform his face into the beast's face. That's oh, that's exactly how they did. If you watch the bonus features for Dead Dead Man's Chest, that is exactly how they did Davy Jones. Oh, Bill Nye he wore a suit with all those dots all over him, and his scenes were all behind a green screen, and then the costume and the obviously the squid face and everything and most of the men that were in his cursed crew were the same way so yeah it's pretty cool technology yeah i think so too okay i have one more thing to ask or i guess kind of discuss because when y'all were talking about the the characterization of like mrs potts and how you didn't like how they chose the side of the pot and her face was in right. the gold leaping or whatever mm-hmm. do you remember like forever ago when we had that discussion about the live action movie versions anyway and how we were yeah. worried about certain movies translating uh-huh. so did we feel like that was kind of the development of what we had discussed earlier that it fails in some ways because it's not animation see I don't know I think I, I probably didn't put I, I never imagined I wouldn't like Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts so that I'm not sure, but it, it or like the greatness concerned. of the be our guest scene, like Jessica was saying, because mm. it's so fantastical it as animation. Yeah. yeah, I think some some aspects of the movies, when you kind of interpret it a different way or redo it, people are okay with it. And then some of the stuff is so specific, and people like it the exact way it is that it doesn't work. Because I a, a scene like be our guest, I feel like the the way it looks and what happens is pretty famous even for people that kind of are casually Disney fans so for me when I was watching it it felt like they were trying to do it almost exactly the same but with CGI and it probably would have worked better if they tried to make it a little different because it's going to look different and it's jarring anyway so if they had kind of gone in a slightly different direction it probably would have been less disappointing because it's not like a copycat of the original you know and that's what I was thinking in that you know, when you're watching animation, there's that suspension of disbelief. But when it right. looks like real stuff, how how much harder is that to kind of stay in the story? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just interested because the Be Our Guest thing was a question I had of how that was. So was it just not as raucous as the animated one? Obviously, well, I mean, they could have if they wanted to CGI the whole thing. But was there flying plates and knives everywhere and or was it just a whole different way of going about it it was mostly lumiere kind of by himself just sort of performing i mean there was little stuff here and there it wasn't nothing but it definitely wasn't as chaotic as the animated version and i felt like it they weren't really trying to be funny like the animated version i don't know what did you think mel i think would be our guest it was more forgettable this yeah. time around where you're like, yeah, it was okay. Where be our guest in the animation was, oh my goodness. I mean, it was visual. It, the the music was spot on the crescendo. Oh my goodness. That, the buildup yeah. in the animated feature, it was, it it is one of the best songs in the Disney catalog, bar none. I mean, it, it's thematically sound from a musical you know, from a musical background, it is a a sound composition, and it gives you all of the the goosebumps, and it builds up to the crescendo point, and you just you can feel it. 
and in the live action, the song was just as good. I just feel the scene was a little bit more forgettable, maybe because it's darker, and with the the darker cinematography and the live action versus how you can manipulate colors in the original animation to make it a brighter scene. I don't know hmm, if I'm yeah, explaining if I'm explaining it right. It just seemed brighter and more vibrant. Yeah, in the it original, was dull. it was dull. It was dull. Yeah. It, right. it was forgettable. I mean, and it's one of the best songs in the Disney catalog. And I, I have hard. I mean, I saw it two weeks ago, and I'm having a hard time recalling all of the details. Did it seem <laughs> slower to you? Because I felt like it, it was did. slowed down. It might, the tempo might have been a little less, but it's still be our guest. So it should still. I mean, because I can see be our guest. You know, from the stage version, I can see it from the Hollywood Studios version. It it, it comes off very well, but in this version. My recall is failing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, hmm. it's just it's a dark. I mean, it's a good song. Yeah, it's a great. It's even a great song. But that particular scene in the movie, meh. And I love the movie. It, yeah, that yeah. that that was not the strong point of this movie. Where it was the highlight. It was one of the the apex moments in the animated movie. It was not an apex moment in this movie. Yeah, for me, the apex happen. was evermore in this one. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. And you can see her as she's like, you know, that little bitty dot that's Bell is, you know, she's riding away. Or, you know, you see her going further and further away from him as he's losing her. And you feel it. And you're like, <gasps> and you're holding your breath because you know what it's costing him. That's the moment in this movie. So it, it, it's a transfer of moments. And that's not a bad thing, because if you're trying to copy it too much, you're going to lose it anyway. So maybe they just didn't try to copy it. Well, I mean, listening to you guys, because I saw I saw the the theater version uh, on Broadway years and years and years ago, probably not too long after it came out. And I really don't remember much of it. And that, that song... If it was in that original production, I have no recollection of it at all, that Evermore song. So I'd have to go and listen to it to see if it jumped. No, I'm pretty sure that one's new. Yeah, I think it's he wrote just it just for, the for movie? this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Because the way some people were talking was that it was pulled from the stage show, which I, I don't didn't, think re- so. I didn't realize they had anything different in the stage show. But I want to think I heard that too, that it was pulled from the stage show. But my thought on it was... Uh, using that versus be our guest for the the scenes that you guys were talking about. And this going back to thinking that it was pulled from the stage show. If that song was originally written for either the live action, uh, Broadway production of it, and then transferred into the movie that, that was more or less was, was written and makes more sense for live actors as where the be our guest scene in the animated film was specifically made for animation obviously and the things that they did in it and and how they there was so much going on in the background and there was like visual overload during the whole thing that's hard to create in a live setting that's not completely cgi and doesn't look forced or fake so i kind of get why that probably was played down and they tried just more relying on obi-wan singing it instead of all the craziness that goes on in the background as in the animated. I mean, like I said, I have not seen the movie yet, but just listening to you guys talk okay. about it, that's kind of Wikipedia my Wikipedia says that um, 
Yeah, they Condon, just wrote it. It says that Condon said that Mencken and Tim Rice wrote it for the movie, it, the live action movie. Okay. All right. So that would yeah, works for me it. then. Works for me. Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know it's not the best source material, but. He said that he, yeah, I mean, it, it does. It, you know, it really does. It said that he did intend to use some of the stage show only versions, but that they did compose Evermore just for the movie. And yes, it was Dan Stevens who Dan Stevens did sing his own part. Okay, there we go then. And then, of course, Josh Groban sang it for the soundtrack to be released, of course, as a single. So. It was never Josh Groban's rendition was never meant to replace Dan Stevens. It was in addition to kind of like they always do with the Disney songs in these movies. They always have somebody else recording them. And what was the song that Celine Dion did for the soundtrack? For the animated one? No, for the new one. Oh, she did something for that, too. Mm hmm. I have no idea. She did it to the name of the song. You'd think I'd be better prepared, but I wasn't thinking about Celine Dion at the time. <laughs> but now that we're on music. Celine Dion didn't sing anything in this, did she? I think she did. How does a moment last forever? I don't know. How does it? How does it? Oh, Let's that's see. the name of the song? <laughs> so is that there the song go. that Maurice sings very briefly in, in his workshop? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that sounds right. So when they got her back, why couldn't they get her back for Beauty and the Beast? Right. Oh, to do a fresh recording of Beauty and the Beast. That would have been nice and nostalgic. Yeah, so that's the second time she's done that song. Well, she sang Beauty. No, she sang Beauty and the Beast, the pop version of Beauty and the Beast in the original animated. Oh, movie. okay. Never mind. And now it's it was it was Celine Dion and Peter Bryson right. back in the nineties, and this time they had Ariana Grande and John Legend do it. John Legend was great. Well, John Legend, I I had no problem with Ariana Grande. Oh no, Grande was not. I mean, when you when you're comparing my comments, okay, you're comparing her not only to Celine Dion, but then at the end of the movie, you have Audra McDonald singing it. Who? It's not. Who that is? That might be bad. No, I don't know the name either. No, because I don't know the name She's a Broadway legend. Oh, yeah. Okay. Audra McDonald. Sorry. Yeah. I oh don't my god, that hurt me. And I consider okay myself to be kind of connected Broadway wise, but I didn't know yeah. the name. She was also on Private Practice. You know the Grey's Anatomy spinoff. Mm-hmm. She was also on that. For you know the people who don't know her from Broadway, she played when they had the live. I think it was on NBC when they had the live action version of. The Sound of Music. She played Mother Superior. Oh, okay. And I think she has the record for the most Tonys, too, for a single person. Yeah. So you have Audra McDonald and Celine Dion singing this song. No matter who you put in that spot, it's going to be a probable letdown. But you put little Ariana Grande there, and it's just... 
Ugh. Yeah. So bad. So, Absolutely. so bad. <laughs> well, it's dressing. the same as when they had Demi Lovato do Let It Go. <gasps> you know, oh, no, I mean. No, no. Then they're fighting words. I actually it's a demographic Demi- thing. I well, actually love won't. Demi Lovato. In fact, I prefer her to Adele Dezim's nasally, I can't <laughs> sing an inch higher than they've put me in this register voice. I think. Adele Dazeem was not right for Elsa on several thousand levels, but that's an entirely different podcast. <laughs> 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 and I will call her it again. I actually like Idina Menzel, but she was not Elsa on any level. She's dark and brooding and Elsa's got white, bright hair. And, uh, <laughs> and she was about 15 years too old to play the part, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> Sorry, Elsa I did sing, not mean Elsa to open that can really of high, and Adina Menzel cannot hit. It just felt like she was struggling to hit those notes. But I think Demi Lovato was perfectly lovely and charming, and she had her struggles. Yes, but goodness, she was a teenager on the Disney Channel. That's just deck stacked against you right there. Well, but then what's the difference with Ariana Grande? She was on Nickelodeon. She, she asked was on Nickelodeon. <laughs> And she was an, and she was annoying on the show she was on on the two shows she was on there because my kids used to watch. Her. Oh my She's goodness! Always on those Disney specials. That's why I got it. I know, right? Oh, I, and I'm not an Ariana Grande hater per se, but I'm not. I'm. It, she's not my, in my age group. It, it's she's not my demographic. So I almost. But I like John Legend, so I can't yeah, really beyond- say that. Beyond that, though, her style of singing just does not fit with what that song was. No, and you listen to the original with Celine Dion and Peter Bryson, and I'll tell you what, the chills on my arms start. I mean, I get goosebumps just hearing that rendition of Beauty and the Beast. And when I hear Ariana Grande sing it, nothing. When Audrey, when I that surprise of Audra McDonald singing it at the end of Beauty and the Beast, the, the chills came back again. I was like, oh! And not a fan of Emma Thompson singing it. Again, it was the Nanny McPhee voice. I don't know. <laughs> but, so, well, I mean, she has the same voice for every role she plays. Well, no, she has her Miss Dashwood voice, and she has her P.L. Travers voice, and then she has her Nanny McPhee voice. I mean, she, and she has her Professor Trelawney voice. I mean, they're, they're all, you know, but it's. I was not loving Emma Thompson at all. And I, overall, I love the movie. So that was my that my nitpicky, is Emma Thompson's voice and Mrs. Potts' animation. Oh, God, if I have to get nitpicky. But I still love the movie. And the music is still some of the best Disney music in the modern era. How does a moment last forever? I don't know. I don't know. We just don't know. So, real questions. Well, how about the singing of Belle in the movie? Because I've heard mixed discussions about her singing capability. <laughs> She's not pretty, Pedro here. Yeah, it was pretty clear that she was. It was auto tuned, but the only time it was really distracting was in the beginning because there was no music kind of covering it up. So it didn't really it's, bother me. So, like when she's of, strolling through the village. Yeah. Right. The little yes. town, it's a quiet... That was rough. And then the rest of it I thought was fine. <laughs> it was. It's kind of like if you saw the movie version of Les Mis 
how you know they actually recorded them kind of live-ish. It had more to, more of a live-ish feel than a pre-recorded. It, it felt like she was kind of sing-song talking through some of the parts. Mm, okay. And I I didn't have a problem with her voice. I mean, she's not Paige O'Hare. She's not supposed to be Paige O'Hare. She's right. You know, right. so that that was fine. I didn't have a problem with her voice. She's a perfectly lovely young lady, and she is who she is. And if you know Emma Thompson's voice, kind of sing song it, and you have Belle. Okay. I, I was I was fine with it. Cool. All right. But overall, yeah, if, if you saw the original, you know the main plot point. So there's there's no surprises there. I think the big surprises were. That you got to know the characters a little bit better. It's not that it changed the plot. I think it enhanced the plot. So you got to know LeFou a little bit better. You got yeah. to see you got to see Beast in a slightly different from a slightly different point of view. Yeah. I think that the the live action kind of reimaginings work when they give you a new way to look at it without messing with why you loved the original. Right. And I think this did that very well. That makes me feel more optimistic. <laughs> Not that I had low expectations for it, but I was nervous I mean, going in because I didn't want it to be really bad. I wanted it to be good, and then I was relieved that it was. It's not yes. one of it's not one of my favorite ones, animated ones from that time period. I mean, I like the movie, but it's not one that I'll rant and rave about as being one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It just happened mm. to like the the other ones much better. So if if it was bad, then I. I don't think I would have lost my head over it. It just would have been aggravated that I wasted money seeing it at the theater. <laughs> so, but now, I mean, I, I, I do want to see think... it. And I definitely do want to see it because I just want to, I want to check it out in the theater before it leaves. Oh, definitely. Definitely see it in the theater. And I think if you kind of go in with that healthy bit of skepticism, like how can I like this as much? I think that will serve you well. Because I wasn't disappointed because I was apprehensive okay, and a little bit nervous. So I wasn't disappointed. I didn't have all these sky high expectations for it. So with the plot, you know, the plot being pretty set in stone, the, the, the additional character surprises were quite nice. Cool. All right. I'll go along with that. Yeah. Cause I made the, I made the mistake of doing that with, oh man, I can't think of the name. I'm drawing blanks. The Star Wars, not Rogue One, the the one before Force it. Awakens. That's it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I had I had ridiculous expectations for that, and that kind of didn't meet up to what I think thought I was thinking about it. And uh, so I went into Rogue One with just like even keeled, and that one exceeded what I thought it was going to be. So I guess I've just learned to go into these things, kind of not. You know, full bore, like, oh, my God, this is going to be the best thing in the world. And no matter what they put on the screen, I'm going to fall in love with. So, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. All right. Very good. Like I said in the beginning, I don't think there's any spoilers for this movie. We all know the plot. We know how it ends. If, like Jessica and Melanie had discussed about plot holes being filled, and that's kind of what I was seeing on social media for the past two weeks, that that stuff had been taken care of for, for people who... Who think along those lines and dive deep into the movies? I, I usually don't, and and to be honest with you, probably didn't. I did not think of any of those things that you two girls talked about at all. It never crossed my mind about the castle and the palace being up there, and the villagers knowing it was there, and how much time had passed. And I, none of that just ever crossed my mind. I guess I look at movies in a different way, 
unless it's something I'm really, really into and I try to look for backstory and and things that could be wrong or missing, but I guess maybe because it was an animated film, I just never looked that deep into it, but now I guess I'll I'll think about it more when I see those scenes this episode. You know, on the big screen. So, but so thank you me. again for listening. <laughs> I really appreciate it. You can find us over on thedizexplorers.com where you can find links to all our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and also on YouTube. Also, you can find links to all our Explorers separate personal accounts on all various social media platforms. And as far as for this podcast, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and also on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to everybody next week. Now